So what we are going to do for the next few moments is uh, take some time, and this is important to to ask questions uh, or make comments. Just I wanted to make sure that we have opportunity. If there are things that that you had questions about, that things that are unclear to you, not just about what I just talked about, but just overall where we are as a church. It's almost kind of like a family gathering to get together and just ask questions. Um, we are recording it, and that's just that we'll, if you ask a question that we feel like shouldn't go out on the public airwaves, we'll edit it. But so, but we want to make sure that we give access to people to have more information. So what we're going to do is if you have a question, um, just raise your hand. John has a mic, and he'll come to you. And I'm going to ask you, even if you think everybody in this room knows you, to state your name so that they know. And as well, if you say anything incriminating, we have it on tape, and your name goes with it. So, no, I'm kidding. But uh, so, again, it's, it's any, any questions in regard to where we are as a church, clarity that you need about what we just covered. Again, it's compass, direction, where God's leading us. So um, just raise your hand. John will come to you, and uh, we'll keep an eye on if other hands go up, and we'll kind of get an order of what we're doing. So um, there's no, like, wrong question. So it's like, oh, i got to think of a really good one. And it's not stump the pastor, okay? That's not what we're doing either. This is just more of, yeah. So... Who would like to be the first? Because if not, John Looney's got like 10 theological questions. I'm ready to go here. Yeah, that's right. This is my chance to grill Pastor John, (laughs) so I'm going for it. No, we have one over here. here. Hi, I'm Jay Moore. And the question I have is, I know you rolled out the small groups a couple of weeks ago, and Mm -hmm. I guess... Based upon what you're talking tonight, I'm just wondering why you didn't kind of do the small groups now, kind of off of this Compass meetings. Why we didn't launch them on this? Why or? Use this as a way of launching them. You mean so use this Compass gathering as a way to launch small groups? Yes. Yeah. Well, probably more of the, as we hit the fall, that was our plan was to, as we, you know, the beginning of September to launch out those small groups. Because really, that's a good question. It's probably the best way to do that, to do it, is we're, we're, transitioning the small groups in the normal rhythm of what the church has done historically, which is when we hit the fall around the second Sunday of September, small groups start up. Um, Because we aren't really like launching missional small groups. It is an evolutionary process. Sorry to use the term in a church, but it is. It's over this process of the year, small groups are are developing. And part of it, too, is that we, we are in the process of wanting to equip and train more leaders. So it's kind of almost like a, it's almost like a soft opening sounds kind of, and to use a business term, so it's kind of like, okay, not a grand opening, because we want to make sure that we are, we're, we're walking through, it's a learning process even for the small group leaders, so that's why we didn't necessarily wait for now to kind of do, ta-da, here's the small groups, because it's more of just a work in progress, that makes sense? Good can, can I add to that? Yeah, for just yeah. A jo- by the way, John's kind of driving that process with small group leaders and been working with them, so. One, one of the things, um, you know, you heard Pastor John talk about how this is a compass, not a roadmap. And that's the same approach that we've been taking with our small groups. We've really been walking through with our small group leaders uh, of where does, the, where does God want to lead our small groups? And what does this look like in our context uh, to not just copy a model or read a book and try to implement that, but what would the Holy Spirit be speaking to us for our context uh, of how we should be doing small groups? And so that's a process that we've been um, walking through and are continuing to walk through um, as we discern that together. And so we're, you're going to be hearing more about small groups as, as that becomes more clear and, and we align how we do our small groups with this concept of 
living missionally and, and how we live that out. So a lot more to come there. Good. Yeah. Okay, question right here. My name is Gary Annenberg, and uh, I just wondered if you had a timetable on when we were going to be moving, um, you know, month or year or what, mm-hmm. you know, or decade or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's a very good question. So our lease ends at the end of May of 2014, so next May. So we will be moving by then unless for some reason we're in the process of transitioning to a building that's requiring permits and build-out process. And if we needed to somehow extend a month at a time, we would see if that's a possibility. Um, but, but ideally, by the end of our lease, we want to be transitioned out of here. So that means that um, when we hit the new year, things would ramp up, and that's what we would have to to figure out. If we don't have a place to go to at the end of our lease, if we need to find a way to go possibly mobile for a period of time and figure out what that looks like. So that, yeah, that's a great question. But so pretty much you can keep in your mind when we, the plan is when we get to the end of the lease, we want to be out of the building. The only thing that would keep us from being out of the building is if we were in the process of getting into another one and needed to get a few more months time before we actually made the transition. So... That's the plan, because because we've already we've already let Rasmussen, the owner, know you know that we're we're not going to renew, um, and I know historically that's been part of the negotiating process. But I think they know that we're not going to renew. They haven't come back and offered. They actually said, "Oh, so can we show the building?" We're like, "Okay, I guess you don't want us to come back," which is fine because we're not planning on staying here. It's time for us to go. Uh, even if some people say we need to negotiate with Rasmussen, so it, it's time for us to go. And, and the leadership has felt as we prayed, it's it's time to make a transition out of this building. Even if he makes us some great deal, um, God's called us to go somewhere else. So that's why we're moving forward on it. So a good question. Larry Freibarger, I I have a question about our youth. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned that 18 years old, a lot of them head on to college and Mm -hmm. never look back. Um, What is that going to look like for our church? Is it going to be something that we're going to concentrate in the high school level? to try to reach in with our with our kids reaching in and college uh, how do we how do we transition that into this that, that's a good question that's part of our dialogue of of how do we now there's there's models that we've looked at in terms of kind of answering to that question um, we were at a conference this last week I have some really good friends who are up in Canby Oregon and in fact Ryan Brown is their next gen pastor and he's actually now not only next-gen pastor for them, but he's kind of helping facilitate nationally for Foursquare, not as a, as a ministry to kind of promote that, but more of as a model of what they've done. And their process has been, uh, is as a, as a student grows up through high school, that once they get in, in towards high school, is that obviously we had uh, New Hope United, is what's called, Foursquare calls it an ELN program. So Emerging Leaders Network, that's part of it. But that process done in a way that helps to launch students in a healthy fashion towards understanding that their life is about mission. And that doesn't necessarily mean mission being ministry in a church, but life about mission overall to understand that it isn't just about, okay, now I graduate from high school and now I go to big church, which is usually alternative. But once a kid's 18 years old, to leap to what we do as adults doesn't have any significance or, or importance for them. And that's partly our bad. It's to make sure that, and it's not that we have to create Christianity to be some desirable thing, but if we're not living out passionately following Jesus, I don't blame an 18-year-old for looking at the church and saying, I don't want to hang around here anymore. 
but helping them to understand the bigger picture. And that's where, like, ELN programs that are run really well, and ours was well. I think there's just too many dynamics in the church. John was doing a great job. And where we will revisit that, we've talked about that. That's one of the plates we've taken and put down because the process of engaging, it doesn't... And sometimes people think that uh, that process, it means I have to go into full-time ministry. That's not what it's about. It's about coming into those pivotal moments between 18 and 25 where most people say, what in the world am I doing with my life? And that's where we lose a lot of students because they find other things to do. It's saying, okay, we don't know the specific roadmap God's going to lay out for your, mouth, ma- your life, but we're going to give you the compass of what he's, where he's leading you overall, which is it may be mission, but it may be mission as a doctor, maybe mission as a steel worker, maybe whatever it might be, but there's that understanding, overriding picture of what their life is supposed to be about. So and that, but that that process to get to that starts back at birth. I mean, we were talking about this, and it's the focus on discipleship, which is a shift even even at a youth group level. Whereas normally it's how do we do a bigger, better boom? We need to get more kids in the building, and that's great. But a lot of kids that go through those kind of youth ministries, those are the ones that when they get to eighteen, they're like, okay, where's the bells and whistles? Where to go? Or they're so done with that, they're like, it didn't really mean anything. It was fun while it lasted. But it's going from that model to understanding, okay, how do we engage kids where they're at? So there is part of that, okay, I want to engage a kid, so it's going to look different than what we do as adults. But then how do I get that young person into a discipling relationship? So it's not just about coming to an event and attending something that's fun, but there's a leader that's engaging in their life that's helping them follow Jesus because that's what's going to translate to when they're 18, if they're going to follow Jesus or not. Which starts back? Is that that's it? I don't. We don't have all the answers yet, but that's what we're processing through. So, does that make sense, Larry? Okay. Did you have a follow up, or were you going to? Okay. That's right. It's just. It's just that. I mean, there's so many levels that are going on here mm-hmm. at this moment, mm-hmm. and for everybody sitting here, you you have, you know, they're they're at different spots. Yeah. Um, we've watched our kids grow up, uh, primarily in this church. Mm-hmm. And um, it's always been important, to, you know, to can, kind of nudge them in farther in, you know. And both both our daughters have, have you know, kind of gone on and, mm-hmm. and are doing that. But mm-hmm. we've known so many other kids that kind of fell off, yeah. you know. And so we reach out. We still love on them. And yeah. we still reach out and, tr- you know, try to, you know, yeah. keep contact. Even mm-hmm. though they've fallen away from the church, mm-hmm. we still love on them and, and still yeah. say, hey, we're still here. We're still same people we were when we went to church and we want you to know that your our doors are always open Mm -hmm. for you good so it it i guess i guess that's what discipleship is all about anyway Mm -hmm. you know it's just really reaching out and loving on people and giving them grace you know when when you need to you know it's it's like a a a lifestyle so Mm -hmm. anyway i'm just concerned about the college groups and stuff because you know i hear the statistics Mm -hmm. Uh, on an ongoing basis of how many people are falling away and Mm -hmm. the church is dwindling. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think by Mm -hmm. raising our kids up into Mm -hmm. the church and, you know, following through Mm -hmm. is the best way to go. Yeah, it is. And that's, you know, Larry, that's part of a broader conversation about what's, you know, the generation that we're talking about is the millennials. That's the next generation. We always give a label. And it's a different, unique generation, different than anything we've ever seen before because the access to technology and what they're looking for. In fact, the, the scary thing is the millennials are the group of people that will lead our country for the next 40 years. And that's why it's so important for us as a church to say, how do we 
embrace this generation and help disciple them because they will be the ones making decisions when most of us in this room are either dead or retired. Really, that's, that's the significance of it. That's on the practical scale, but on the broader scale, it's about eternity. And, and that's really important for us to understand that. But one thing that's true about every generation is they're looking for something real. And that's why we have to cut a lot of the stuff away that we think will attract certain kinds of people and say, you know, let's just be transparent, authentic, and real about who Jesus is in our life. That means our strengths, our weaknesses, our victories, our defeats, but offer Jesus in an authentic way of how we follow him. And that, that transcends all generations. Because that's what, in my conversation with people who don't know the Lord, they're done with church because church has tried to paint a picture instead of being honest. And that's what the culture is looking for. That's why the culture shies away from church, but is attracted to Jesus. That makes sense. So, but it's a great question. That's why we really want to be able to answer that question and be able to do something effective in that way, that area. So good, Jack. Right there. I'm Jack Jordan, and I'm relatively a new member to your church here. Although my whole background is, a, I have a daughter that's a pastor. I have a son-in-law that's like a son, <laughs> a pastor, and it's always in my family. And uh, this is my daughter, Julie, and she's mm-hmm. almost like a pastor. Yes, yeah, she is. <laughs> John, I have a question in regards to the movement for this whole, out of this building. Mm-hmm. Does the contract stipulate that the group has to remove all of this structure? No, so this this is the good thing. So um, thanks to a, a smart church council and a great guy named dan stewart so in in the last lease that originally in the original lease was stipulated that if we leave we had to return this to its original condition which the estimate was three quarters of a million dollars to do that yeah. um, which would made it made it impossible for the church to leave dan was able to get that negotiated out of the lease so the only thing that we lose walking away from this building is we lose our deposit it's about twenty three thousand dollars which was put in years ago that's what we. That's the only thing that's written into the contract that we would lose walking away. But no, we everything that we put in here originally that was not here before, we can take all of it with us. That's that's in the the lease right now that we're allowed to do that. So all of our sound equipment, everything. In fact, that was part of it too. They, originally in the lease, everything that got put in had to stay. That also got negotiated out, so we can take everything that we want with us. So we probably won't take the carpet. We'll leave that. So then, do you have a uh, an experienced yeah. group of men or, and ladies that are actually working on uh, trying to find a new location, mm-hmm. or have you pretty well got your mind set on across from Costco? No, we haven't. We actually that's the fourth building we've looked at. So, so to tell you the process, so Wally Wolf has been working in conjunction with the church council with me and with a realtor that we have to try to find where we, we should go. So our first step was we've actually had two meetings with the city. We sat down with Brian Gabler, who's at, at the city, and we said, okay, this is where we're at. This is the size of our church. This is what we're looking, you know. And so he, he helped us to narrow down in our city where the city would say, this is the best place for you, which is by Costco because of the number of parking spaces, especially the, the unit that's right as you exit Costco. That, there's a, like industrial lighting company right there. It's Correct. that building. Yes. That, those four units have about as much parking as you're going to get in the city of Simi Valley for light industrial. So the city said that's where you should focus your search. So our realtor has been looking, and we looked at one building at the back of that towards the freeway. Uh, there were some issues. We had our architect go through and look at it, and there were some exit issues that we yeah. couldn't have adjusted. So this, the one that we're looking at now has some good possibility because of the way it's configured. So, 
I know mm. that uh, maybe you and I don't think exactly the like, and that's alike, and that's because of your background. Mm -hmm. One thing I think of, and I can't think of it, is promotion, promotion, promotion. <laughs> yeah. When I look at that building across from Costco, I think location, location, <laughs> location. Yeah. Yeah. You can't help. You cannot help. But if if they would allow you, if we get in there, mm -hmm. and it's done properly and, and not the right type of sign, let's say. Mm -hmm. Do you yeah. know how many people will get to see that and wonder what's going on at that location? Yeah. No, it's true. And visibility helps. It de you definitely bet. does. And that, that's about as visible as you can get. That's correct. In, in our city. So, but, but one thing, I, Jack, so you understand. So this, the, the amazing journey of Sunrise New Hope, this church that's yeah. been around for these years, is that this building is absolutely buried. It is. This is about the worst location for a church you can find. But at one point, this church was over 2,500 people. And I think that's, that's, that's a testimony to a move of God that goes surpasses our location. Location's where I would love to be next to Costco. Because right now, when I try to explain where New Hope is, I just say, it's near Discovery. Oh, yeah, I know where that is, right? Yeah. And I, you're right, you're right. It would be just easier to say, hey, you know when you're exiting Costco? Oh, yeah, I know where that is. Yeah, right. totally. I, I, I get it for sure. I, I've talked to all of my neighbors, and I, yeah. they're asking me, well, where is your church? <laughs> you know, and I try to describe it. That location, you know, you talk about 25. I was here in the yeah. prior church, and there were reasons it's not here any longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I thank yeah. you, and we're yeah. here to help. Thank you, Jack. We appreciate that. She wants to speak. Hi, I'm Betty Irwin. I have two questions for you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we were originally looking to possibly relocate mm -hmm. uh, before we renegotiated re this lease, Part of the question was the conditional use permit. Mm -hmm. And are we able to take ours and move it, or do we have to reapply? You have to reapply, yeah, because okay. it, it's only attached to the property that you're, on, you're at. So, yeah, and that's part of the, the process that we'd have to, uh, in the negotiation, that's part of the process of figuring out the time frame for a conditional use permit that can be anywhere from three to six months. And that's, you know, but we do have a very good architect who's worked with a lot of Foursquare churches who, uh, knows the city of Simi Valley, and it will help us walk through the process to know the things that we need to get done in the process. So, yeah, I wish we could transfer it, but it all has to do with the location, the number of parking spaces available, and those kind of things. So, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to go through that again. That was wishful thinking. Yeah, it would have been. It would be great. It would be wonderful if we could just transfer it. So, yeah. And your second okay. question? Now, the other part of it is there's been such a move in the church as a whole um, to almost discard people above certain age and mm. really focus on young people. Right. And I certainly understand that because if we don't reach young people, there will be no church tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's kind of interesting because being that I'm now on the other side of that, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's, it's really my heart's desire when I am in a ministry is it's not the old frumpy people against the young, wet, behind-the-ears kids. It's not about that. Mm -hmm. It's about seeing the youth, bringing them in, and trying to mentor them mm -hmm. so that they don't have to learn on their own things I've already experienced. Mm -hmm. So I can try to speak in, into their mm -hmm. life and share with them. Yeah. And they also minister to me. Okay. And it, 
I see a lot of change in the worship team happening, which is just so amazing. I just mm -hmm. love that, of, of real unity and mm -hmm. all of us working together and enjoying each other and learning from each other. But I think that's my real heart's desire is to mm -hmm. be able to impart into the younger people and have mm -hmm. there be a mutual respect there mm -hmm. so that we can all grow together. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. it's just so sad to see yeah. so many that have just discarded yeah. over a certain age group. Yeah. And I think that's part of it as, you know, as we we follow Jesus and our disciples for, you know, our life and have a lot more experience in younger people, that's the beauty of investing in young people like like with Switch. So so because we have in Switch the, the leaders that Tim and Stacy have in there are a wide range, age range. Cuz we have some young leaders, we have some older leaders and I love it. Like uh, Ray and Marilyn Hostetler. I love it. They are so investing in our young people. It's great. And they have great wisdom because they've lived life and they followed Jesus for a long time. And in that, you start, you have a great wisdom that comes to bear. And that's, in, that's an intentional decision on your part to say, I'm going to invest. I'm going to be involved and mentor and help them along. And even though, you know, there's age and years that separate, following Jesus is following Jesus. You know, and there's a lot of things to learn, so it's good. That it, I'll just know. add to that yeah. as well. You know, Denise and I worked with our young adults here for about six years and what we really discovered during that time is, is that, you know, we're living in a time now, especially now in the millennial generation, where it's a fatherless generation. Mm -hmm. It's a generation that has not experienced complete whole families. And there's young people, the next generation, that are, want grandmas and grandpas. Yeah. They want moms and dads. And sometimes a lot of the people we didn't know how to work or, you know, connect they, they didn't know how to connect. They didn't know how to ask or, or approach that. And sometimes it's as you want to make an impact, invite somebody over, invite a young couple, invite a college student, invite somebody over for, for a meal. And, I mean, there's great, great investment opportunities as we, as we link arms and all the generations work together. Yeah, that's good. Another question. I'm Jackie. Um, my question is, Is are you only searching within Simi Valley for the building, or are you venturing out of the city as well? We're looking in Simi Valley. Yeah. Yeah, God's called us to be in Simi Valley. So that's, yeah, that's the, we haven't looked in Moore Park, although there may be space, but yeah, we've looked in Simi Valley primarily. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, so that's, that's the right answer, right? <laughs> And up to now, we've only really looked on the west end of Simi Valley yeah, as well. We've, we've so, you to... know, we've looked on the, the west end of Simi Valley, yeah. Mm -hmm. We haven't really ventured too much. And there was only one other building that the city kind of pointed out on the east end of town. But then as we'd investigated, even with Brian Gabler there, he said, oh, that won't work for parking. That was There was only one building that was even a potential. But the west end of town, because it has more of that light industrial area, is is preferable. So, yeah. So, which, by the way, doesn't mean that that's... We're still, the, part of the process is that we're praying as, as a leadership that we may not end up in that kind of facility. I don't know. I also, I've talked to principals at Santa Susana and Royal, and uh, Royal's open to us meeting there, but she said for a month. That's all they can offer us. So, uh, but who knows if there's other opportunities with schools or things like that. Again, the point is, is that having a facility that's functional, and that might mean, functional might mean that we have to put a little bit more work in to make a service happen. But if that means that we're saving $15,000 a month on a lease payment, that's a great investment of our time because that's $15,000 more we can invest in mission locally and globally. 
So, but we'll see. But we're obviously right now we're looking at the one by Costco, and we'll see how that unfolds. So we're really early in the process because once we make the proposal to the owner, it's going to go back and forth quite a bit until we would come to any point of agreement. And by the way, so the way that we function as a church is that once we get to the point of actually saying, like the church council says, okay, this is a good lease that we're looking at. This is good agreement. Before we sign anything, which, by the way, as a local church, we don't sign anything. Foursquare, our corporate Foursquare actually signs the lease for us. So that gives us a covering. But before we even get to that point, we will actually have a vote. There has to be a two-thirds majority for us to even say, you will have to say, yeah, we think that that's good. That's where God's leading us. I vote yes or no. I feel like that's not what we should be doing. I say no. And if we don't get two-thirds, then we don't move. I'd be surprised by the time we process through the church council things. It'll be good. But that, So you'll know when it's really, really official because you'll be saying yes. So, yeah. You won't be saying no. You'll be saying yes. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Tim. <laughs> My name is Tim Hess. Um, as we go through this, let's say that we relocate to a place right size and we literally cut our payment in, in a third. And so our, our total payment with maintenance utilities is only $20,000 a month or, or less. And now at the end of the year, we've saved $100,000 or more potentially. Um, you know, and obviously God doesn't give us turn by turn. He gives right. us general direction. So you may not be able to answer this specifically, yeah. but what are some of the ways you would see us as a church if we're saving that to invest missionally, mm-hmm. what are some ways we could expect that where we might see some of that funding go and how we might be able to bless missionally with that extra money? No, that's a, that's a good question. That, so, so long-term is getting ourselves in a position where anytime that we send a team overseas, anytime we invest in anything locally, we don't have to do a special offering for it. My philosophy, honestly, this is it, is if we are managing our money well and using the resources God's blessed us with well, and everybody's tithing. Honestly, if that were true in every church in America, we would never have to do a special offering. We wouldn't. There's estimates right now that, that the church in America runs on about a 3% tithe. Yeah, that means that people, if they, they we, there's a whole other 7% of income, which is really like 70% of income, that people don't give. And it might be because people give a little bit or give nothing, and then there's a handful of people that tithe. But if, seriously, if everybody tithes, and so you know, I, I've already said this, I don't look at giving records. I don't know if you give a million dollars or you give nothing. I don't look at it because I'm trusting if you're following Jesus, you're going to be obedient to him. You're not obedient to me, and I'm not the one that looks over your shoulder and says, give, give, give. So when you hear anybody up here say anything about money on Sunday, they're not going and looking at your giving. They're just doing it out of the conviction of the Holy Spirit because that's, that's something you and I have to respond to what God says. But, Tim, ideally it is. It's to get to that point where if we can live off less, we can give more. And that means that when we send a team to Haiti, honestly, just so honestly, I don't want to have a spaghetti dinner on Friday night. I don't. But, but Bob and Debbie Brooks approached me and said, you know, we need to raise some funds. So I said, okay, I guess we have to do that. I would love to say, you know what, how much does the team need? Oh, $5,000? That's okay. We have a million dollars in the bank. We can write a check for $5,000. Yeah. Absolutely. That's where we want to invest instead of writing a check for $5,000 to Rasmussen. Bless his soul. I'd rather write it and, and support people in Peru or Haiti or wherever we're going. Sorry, it's Peru that they're going to. But, but so that, that's where I like to be. So if, if Betty says, hey, the Samaritan Center is raising some funds because we need to renovate this or we have this new program, and they come to us, we don't have to do a special offering. We get to say, you know, we can give that. And we say to the church, the church council has decided to give this money, and we have the money, and we're investing it. There may be times when we can do special offerings, but we have to do them now. 
We have to in order to fund a mission because all of our resource that comes through Tithe is about the machinery of the church. And I want to get to the point where that's just the portion of it. It's not what drives it. So ideally, that's, that's where I'd love to get, a, get our lease payment lower. And I mean, right now, if we did, if we cut all of our expenses down to 15000 as opposed to thirty overall, that's $15,000 that we can. And the other thing, too, is we will save it. And if God says save it, and then in five years there's so much money saying, you know what, you need to go buy a building. Or someone gives us a building. Which, by the way, pray really hard that somebody just gives us something. Seriously, I'm not joking. In fact, it was Denise who was talking to John the other night, and you said that. And, I, and, and they, we were talking about that. We do. It, we need God to do a miracle. It's not going to be on our, on our ability to negotiate a good lease. It's going to be on God's ability to do something beyond our ability. So pray that God puts it on somebody's heart that says, you know what, I have this facility, I have this piece of land, or I have something, or I want to give you $30 million. That'll work for me. Two million or three million or four million for a building, and the rest goes to mission. So we can invest in that. So, other questions? I'll ask a question. Okay. Um, I'll just step right in here. <laughs> yeah. um, you you have described Pastor John a pretty significant shift in our direction mm-hmm. from how we have functioned as a church in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you have described is the church not as an organization, but as us, mm-hmm. as individuals who are part of this thing that God has called us to, called the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. And you said that um, that it will include making disciples, mm-hmm. and that, that that is really the charge that you would give us, is, is making disciples. But what would you say to um, someone who says, I don't know how to make dis- a disciple? Mm-hmm. I don't know what that looks like, and frankly, when push comes to shove, I wouldn't have a clue what to say. What's the starting point, or, or what would you say to that person, and how they, how they fit, how they, how they move forward in this? That's a great question. That's why you're over small groups, John. You're supposed to answer that question, right? No. No, that, that's the process that I think that happens in a lot of different avenues, but, but when you think about... I think that is, when you, when you use the term discipleship, it almost becomes a scary thing, because it's like... How do I make a disciple? When you think about the way you came to Christ, that's a process of discipleship. Because you didn't just wake up one morning and say, oh, I'm going to be a Christian today. There was something that that walked you through a process, and that something was a person. It may have been a parent. It may have been a relative. It may have been a friend that, or a group of people that helped you to understand who Jesus is. And so understanding the questions that you had along the journey or the things that you had, even once you even made a commitment. I, I prayed the prayer at age five. But I really didn't start following Jesus until probably my late middle school to early high school years where I realized this was for me and not just mom and dad's thing. But when you walk through that, for me, the discipleship process is how do you learn to disciple is that you learn from how you've been taught and the journey that you've walked through. And part of the process is I think discipling is shaped when you're engaging people who don't know Jesus and you're letting them shape the conversation. Because that's, that's, the, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That there's process and there's things. Because we, we have a tendency, I think, to be, take a programmatic approach to discipleship, which is, okay, if I want to make a disciple, they have to know this, 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 and this, and so I'm going to stick them in a class. Usually we have a, what we call new believers classes, which are great, but those all deal with theology. And they deal with, okay, reading your Bible every day, which is very important. But they don't deal with the core issue, which is, this whole thing is about a relationship with God. And so what do we do? We make it an educational transaction. The shift is, is how was I discipled? How did I come to know Jesus? I'll tell you, for me, I was discipled by my parents, but primarily by my dad. And I watched him live his life, and I watched what he said, 
And it made sense to me because I watched that he, what he said is what he did. And if you live your life out that in front, of, in front of people, in front of friends, that you live a life that's consistent with following Jesus, and they begin to ask questions, your response to answering their questions is the process of discipleship. And you will learn that. Now, there are tools and there are things that we can do. I think a beautiful thing is within the small group context that we've been talking about, that as we move this direction with small groups, what we may end up having having is the primary avenue into coming to know Jesus. It has nothing to do with our Sunday morning gatherings. It has to do with people showing up at your small group who don't know Jesus. Because they'd rather go to someone's living room than to come into a sanctuary. And they'd rather sit down and listen to people who say they're Christians and watch them live their life. And that's part of our dialogue with some of the small groups. Like, oh man, what do we do now? (laughs) The non-Christian showed up. The club is over. (laughs) You know, it's like things have changed. How do we handle that? And that's a good problem to have because then that makes us have to ask, okay, how do we disciple this person? That means from the point where they don't know Jesus and they're grappling with what is it, what is a small group and what are, what are you even talking about to the point where maybe they understand who Jesus is and that's the process because then it's a relational thing. It's not tied to, it's not tied to a pastor. It's not tied to an experience in service. It's tied to a group of people or a person that helped them to walk through. So I don't think we don't have like a plan that we're putting in, into place. And, you know, John and I have been working with different things. But some, some specific things may emerge that we say, okay, here's some good tools to help in discipling. Um, but we'll see where that, where that comes from. But it really is our individual lives. That's how we decide. We're discipled into the kingdom that way. That's the way we should disciple. It's one-on-one. It really is. And that's, I think that's most effective. That's what actually produces real disciples, not just decisions. It's a big shift. So, good. Any other questions? We don't have to go on all night. but Okay, and Ron, real okay. big quick one. Doctrinally, we know what Foursquare believes. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see our church, um, this church body, uh, working or using spiritual gifts? That's a good question because spiritual gifts are a very interesting phenomenon. So spiritual gifts were given for a purpose to be given away. The challenge that we face in the church is when we use spiritual gifts, they have a tendency to be used more for our own benefit. For example, the the... the most of the scripture we have that relates to spiritual gift comes in the form of correction. It's Paul saying you're doing it wrong. First Corinthians has a lot to do with what you're doing wrong. Um, I think when you and I surrender to the Holy Spirit, and this is the, this is the thing that shifts the gifts, the, the gifts of the Spirit. So the gifts of the Spirit are genuinely experienced when we're living on mission. So and the reason I say that is because when you look at the book of Acts, So spiritual gifts were not used normally in the context of a worship service until you get to 1 Corinthians. And Paul gives a rebuke and says, you guys don't get it. You're using tongues for the wrong reason. You're using it out of pride and you're causing confusion. When you go back into the book of Acts, when tongues showed up, it was in the public place. Tongues was actually a language that people didn't understand how to speak that was somebody else's language. It can be a heavenly language that we don't understand. But that's where the gifts of the Spirit were used. It's when God gives them a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom in the context of people who don't even know who God is, and they think, how in the world can you know that? It's those kind of things. Where we've defined spiritual gifts as what happens a lot on a Sunday morning, if you have a you know, tongue and interpretation or a prophecy and things like that, that's a small fraction of why the gifts were given. Because it was given, the Holy Spirit was given so that the church would be driven on mission, not so that we'd have services to all use our gifts. Our gifts are used outside. So even outside those, those gifts, but if you talk about the gift of mercy or, or the gift of hospitality or the different gifts like that, those are all used in the same context. 
It's about being on mission. And, and, I, and I've seen that the gifts of the Spirit go on, are on steroids when we're living outside of ourselves. So, so that, that's, that, that's my take because, you know, we are, we are four square, and that means that we believe Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptized with the Holy Spirit means that the gifts are given and the Spirit is given because the church is supposed to be on mission. That's what drove the church. Everything changed in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit came along, this, this group of timid, confused disciples were set on fire. And that's what's crazy. Then they changed the world. And that's what I'm praying for for us because the process we're walking through of discipleship requires the work of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about it when we get in Matthew. When Jesus sent out the disciples two by two, they went under the power of the Holy Spirit and stuff happened in their life. They came back and said, you know what happened? As though Jesus would be surprised. We cast out demons. Like, can you imagine Jesus going, oh, really? Is that what happened? Like, he knew, of course he knew that was going to happen because the work of the Holy Spirit was in them. So, does that make sense? So, it's, and, I, and I don't know if you're asking, when you ask that, if you're asking specific gifts or you're talking about, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. It's very true. And I think that we would do more and more of that if we found ourselves being outside of ourselves. We would. We really would. Because the development of that comes in the context outside the four walls of the service. Because especially, you know, it depends context. So if we were to travel to Africa or we were to travel to different places where poverty is high, spiritual reality is much more evident than what we experience, you would see the gifts of the Spirit used far more often. Because they're using when they're encountering demonic forces and there's things that happen that you have to have the work of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to teach your way out of it. You're not going to convince anybody. You just need God's power encounter. And that's part of it. You know, I would love to see us walk the streets and somebody, God gives somebody a word of knowledge for somebody that they don't even know. And they walk up and say, hey, this is what's going on in your life. And they go, whoa, how did you know that? Well, God told me that. How did God tell you that? Then the door is wide open. That's to me, that's more of what I think the gifts were designed for. Or even in the context I've heard many times, someone's in a culture they don't understand, the Holy Spirit comes on and they start speaking a language they don't know and they begin reading somebody's mail in a different language. And evangelism happens. That's, I love to see, I love to see that in Simi Valley. Can you imagine how jacked up Simi Valley, if that stuff started happening? That'd be awesome. Jacked up is a good word. It's Greek, I think. So anyway, <laughs> but I would be excited to see that. But that would require us not looking for it here. It would require us looking for it out there. So good question. Any more? Okay. All right. So this is, I'm, I'm going to pray and we'll close. If there's other questions, you can come ask me. Uh, but just before we close, just a couple things. Um, if you did not get a, a chance to fill out a Connect card the last couple Sundays and get your picture taken back there at the, the table there by the, the Life Together table, you can do that as well. We're, we still have the Radical Together books on sale for $5. Let me encourage you. Radical Together will help you to shape kind of the overall conversation that we're having as a church right now. It's not a long book. It's only six chapters, but it will challenge you. And everything that you'll read out of David Platt is very, very much scriptural to the point where it's almost offensive because it's like, man, you're right. That's what Jesus did say, you know, but it's really good. So if you haven't gotten a copy of that, it's $5. If you don't have $5, you can have a copy for free. It's really, really good. We're not trying to be David Platt's church in Birmingham, Alabama, but he's helping shame a broader, or shape a broader conversation about the church discipleship mission and the glory of God. It's really easy to read. So um, just the other note. So on the, the information update, I know some of you don't like pictures. Part of what even what we're experiencing around tables is breaking down barriers of not knowing each other. There's been a lot of change in the church in the last year. Actually, the last couple of years, a lot of people coming and going. 
So there's a lot of new faces. There might be faces that, that you don't recognize. So for the staff and leadership, let me tell you, we go through the prayer requests every week, but I don't have a picture and I haven't met all of you. But boy, when I get a name and then I get a face, I'm money, okay? But if I just get a name and a name and a name or a face and a face, I don't put them together. So it helps us tremendously so that when we pray, we know who we're praying for. And, and for me, honestly, it's like, oh, I did have a conversation with that person this Sunday. And I happen to forget your name, but if I see your name in your face, I'll remember. And the leadership as well, and it's helpful. And especially for those who are serving and in places who are scheduling ministries and things like that, to be able to have the context of picture and accurate email addresses and phone numbers is invaluable so that we stay connected. I know you don't like pictures, but... It really, really helps. And we're seriously, we're not going to put them out on the Internet. They're only within our database that people within the church who have access can look at. Okay, so and Harold will not go on your Facebook page and find the ugliest picture you have and put it on there. I'll make sure he doesn't do that, even though he's sitting there. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Anyway. All right. Well, let me pray. And then and then we're, we're free to head out tonight. So. Lord Jesus, I am so excited for what you want to do and you are doing in our lives and in our church. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for the history of this church that although, Lord, it's had its struggles, just like we all do, you have done great things in this place. You've done great things in these people. And Lord, I know there are so many people today that know you and have been discipled because of the history of this church. But Lord, we know that you have even more for us in the future. That's why we're still here. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give us the understanding of how, as individuals, we can follow you, how, as individuals, we can learn to disciple people around us. And I pray, Lord, that you would send the power of your Holy Spirit on us as a church, as individuals, that we would experience, even as Betty said, Lord, we would experience your gifts in us, in a context, Lord, that brings glory to you and helps people to find you and know you. So that ultimately, Lord Jesus, we want to glorify you. We want you to be lifted up. We want you to be followed and obeyed. And so people can be reconciled back to God. Lord, again, thank you for this church. Thank you for your love for us and your compassion. Thank you for calling us to be a part of your family and your mission. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys for coming out. I appreciate it. If you know people who have, you have friends who say, I don't know if I'm going to the Compass Gathering. Please ask him to come because it's much better in person than it is on an audio file sitting in front of your computer. So God bless you. Have a good night.